From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Francis is out on assignment. I'm your host, Marjorie Sensor. Final grades for the 10th Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act scorecard are in. House Oversight and Reform Government Operations Subcommittee Chairman Jerry Connolly says no agency got a D or an F. NextGov reports the final grades for all the agencies will be announced at a hearing next Thursday. The acting director of the Office of Management and Budget is the new permanent director. The Senate confirmed Russ vote Monday on a party line vote 51 to 45. GovExec reports he's been acting director since January 2019. A HUD official is the nominee to become the next director of the Office of Personnel Management. John Gibbs has been at HUD since 2017. He's been acting assistant secretary for community planning and development since March. GovExec reports he doesn't have a background in human resources and that he has drawn attention for tweets he published in 2016 promoting a conspiracy theory about then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency has a new way to work with researchers. A broad agency announcement issued this month will allow the agency to use phased approaches and multiple contracting tools. Cindy Daniel is Director of Research at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Thanks for being here, Cindy. Thank you very much for having me. We're very excited to be in this venue. What's the impetus behind uh, this new broad agency announcement? So first, let me tell you a little bit about the National Geospatial Agency and tell you what we do. We are the premier agency to deliver world-class geospatial intelligence to uh, policymakers, warfighters, and first responders. It is up to us to deliver the warning decision space to these decision makers and uh, command military commanders. So you might imagine geospatial intelligence as being the exploitation and analysis of any geospatial referenced activity or any uh, feature, geographic feature on the Earth. And we are here to tell you what is happening and where and what might happen and when and to deliver that information to commanders on the field. So the Admiral of uh, National Geospatial Intelligence uh, Agency, Admiral Sharp, has given us the directive as the directors inside of his agency to reimagine. We are in a reimagining stage and we are here to change the way of doing business. It's not business as usual anymore at NGA. So as the director of research, I uh, have uh, uh, the responsibility for a large portfolio that tra transcends many areas of different sciences. And as from my experience at DARPA, I remember I was a program manager there and I remember the BAA was a fantastic tool that we used to, uh, to reach out to many different performers. And so the motivation really to your question is the Admiral's marching orders to uh, create new ways of doing business and this BAA will accelerate our research and it will provide NGA with the ability to reach a wide and diverse set of performers and be able to deliver a variety of different contracting tools to make it simpler and easier to do business with NGA. What specifically does this tool do that maybe you didn't already have in your, your kind of uh, toolkit at, at NGA? So it provides us with greater flexibility and agility to reach contractors and it makes it simpler to do business with us. So I've also been on the other side as a performer for government agencies. And I uh, remember how, how intimidating it is, it can be to do business with government agencies. And so this tool is really to allay that, make it simpler, make it easier, make it faster. It is going to give us a wide variety of instruments 
We will be able to now do non-FAR, FAR is the federal acquisition uh, regulations. And so sometimes that can be intimidating to performers who have not worked with the government before. So with this tool, we can have a wide variety of instruments. They can be both FAR and non-FAR. So you don't have to necessarily be uh, DCA compliant when you begin. Uh, and, and it will make us far more agile to reach many different performers. I should say we are looking to do business with academia, with small businesses, including startups, with large industry performers, nonprofits, you name it, across the board. We want to do open our doors to be able to do business with everyone and really reach a very more competitive performer base that will increase our research uh, scope. So that's interesting that you're trying to cast kind of a wider net maybe than you've, you've had in the past. How are you um, kind of getting the message out now that you have this BAA to, to reach um, companies or groups that haven't worked with uh, the government or with NGA in the past? So it is on FedBizOps, and I don't have the link in front of me, but uh, at FedBizOps, you can do a search on NGA. Uh, it's called the Bigger BAA, B-I-G-R, and we call it the Bigger BAA. And I should mention that um, this BAA that you'll see there now is really the introduction, the template, I should say. If you were taking a course, it might be the first, uh, 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 the first thing you get in the first day, which is a description of all of the things that we do in research. It lays out for you the subject matter, and it lays out how uh, you could do when the exams come, if the professor was giving out an, uh, an introduction to the course. Now, what will come uh, soon, I believe today, we are dropping the very first topic. So the topic is with the instruments that have the money on them. And that's what you want to propose to are the topics. So uh, the first topic will be about COVID-19 rapid response. And these topics will uh, then be like the chapters that we are putting out in this course as we go along through time. Uh, we have another topic coming out on radar, which will be looking at the trade, trade um, analysis between capability versus the collection, the time and the capability you can get with radar. Uh, the third topic will be the most interesting, I think, to everyone, and that relates to the widest set of uh, people that can propose to this, and that is what we call the open topic. So the open topic will then uh, be very similar to what the the uh, narrative is in the in the BA itself, and it will allow you to be able to propose. We're looking for small seedlings that can propose to this wide variety of science that we do at NGA. And we're looking to a handful of seedlings the first year. This is a first time for a lot of people, a first for us and a first for the performers. With just about a minute to go, um, I know it's early yet, but have you gotten any feedback yet from um, companies or researchers that would like to work with you on the BAA? Absolutely, yes. We've uh, received many different, I've received many emails from people in industry looking forward to this and looking forward to uh, this new instrument, asking many questions about the types of activities that we're looking for. I should say that if you want to be able to work with a researcher at NGA uh, to develop your idea, we're looking forward to that as well. That uh, you can look to the email address. I will tell you it is NGA underscore research at NGA.mil. And I should mention also that the timeline of this BA, we're looking, I mentioned to do things not business as usual. So it should be six months from the time, we're looking nominally six months from the time the BA hits the street, the topic that goes to this BA hits the streets until you will have the contract in hands and can begin work. So that's a very rapid timeline, but we uh, think we can achieve that. And if we have little 10 seconds, I want to give a shout out to all the researchers at NGA uh, in, the science, in the research directorate because it is really a national treasure, this great team of researchers that we have there. So I wanted to throw that out. Thank you so much, Cindy. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Up next, managing the future of the chief management officer role at the Pentagon. 
Straight ahead on Government Matters, what's next for the third highest civilian role in the agency? You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Both the House and Senate drafts of the National Defense Authorization Act would get rid of the DOD Chief Management Officer role. The current CMO, Lisa Hirschman, says the proposed changes will lead to, quote, a guaranteed failure. Peter Levine is Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Defense Analyses and former Deputy Chief Management Officer. He's author of the new book, Defense Management Reform, How to Make the Pentagon Work Better and Cost Less. Thanks for being here, Peter. I'm delighted to be here, Marjorie. Thanks for having me. What do you think of, of Congress's uh, calls here? Are they making the right decision? Well, I was never a great fan of the current CMO setup. Um, I questioned whether the CMO should be designated the third highest official in the Department of Defense. I don't think that the CMO's resources and authorities are aligned with the mission or the expectations of the office. Um, on the other hand, I can see why Lisa Hirschman would think that this provision is unreasonable. She was just confirmed for the job a few months ago. And the statutory objectives for the office were, were enacted just a few months before that. So I think it's fair to say that she hasn't had really a fair opportunity to, set, to show whether she could achieve those objectives. Um, my, my real bottom line in this, though, is that this office has been reorganized, has been subject to, to too many legislative reorganizations coming too fast. And at a certain point, I think Congress should just stop rearranging the deck chairs and allow the department to manage itself. Um, so. Uh, whatever Congress decides this year, I hope that they, they, they set on something and stick with it for a few years this time. What do you think is driving that? Are they expecting um, results maybe more quickly than you think is possible? I think, I think it's pretty clear from the most recent legislation that Congress was expecting results that couldn't be achieved in a period in which they, couldn't, in, in which they were not possible. The legislation that was enacted two years ago, two, two years ago called on the, uh, the office to achieve 25 a 25% reduction in the personnel, logistics, acquisition, and property operations of the department in a period of less than 18 months. I doubt that that could be achieved without a serious damage to the department in a period of five years. And in a period of 18 months, it's just, it's just flat out impossible. Um, so I don't, I don't think that the expectations of the office were reasonable, just to start with. Um, but I think the office has a structural problem. I mean, I think that, that um, Congress's expectation is that this office will be engaged and seriously engaged in business management reform in the, de in the department, and its resources are not aligned with that. It, it, has, uh, it has about 100 people, but those 100 people have day jobs, most of which don't have anything to do with business management reform. They have to do with running the nuts and bolts of, of the Pentagon, the, uh, the, the, the uh, internal operations of the Pentagon on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, the House took one approach in their recommendations, the Senate another. Um, any, any thoughts on where we end up and what it means for the department going forward? Well, I think it's pretty clear that the position is going to be abolished because that's in, in both bills. I don't think it's particularly constructive for the department to fight that at this point. Um, the, the House bill, as I understand it, would abolish the CMO essentially immediately and require that its responsibilities be transferred. The Senate bill would, would abolish the office in two years, giving the department more time to plan what to do to follow up on that. Um, so I think that, the, that, that I hope that Congress will give a greater period of time for this transition uh, so that it can be planned out and, and, and a successor operation can be put in place before this thing is, is, is pulled apart. As you noted, there's been all this debate over what, sh what should the structure be, should this position exist or not. Um, it seems like 
you're hinting at that there may be other things that DOD or Congress could do to make this position more successful besides structure. Is it about authority or funding or staff? Well, I think there is a, a significant issue of resources and capabilities, but there's also the, this issue that I mentioned before of expectations. I think that, that if you want to be successful in, in, uh, in reforming Pentagon, um, and I've written an entire book about that, by the way, um, you have to pick your targets and stay focused on them. Congress and the Pentagon too often just try to do everything at the same time, and that's a recipe for failure. If they want to be successful, they can't try to take on financial management, acquisition management, logistics management, personnel management, IT management, all at the same time. Those systems can all be made better, and you can have people working on them, but, but the senior leadership of the Pentagon has limited bandwidth, needs to pick its targets and really stay focused and stay, achieve, and, and, and stay engaged in order to accomplish anything. One of the other things you mentioned is sort of elevating it to this third highest civilian in the Pentagon um, place. Is that too high? You, I think in some ways people thought that will help it succeed, that will help give it what it need to, needs to, to flourish. The, the giving it somebody a title or a nominal rank isn't the same as giving them an authority. So if you look at, at, at the staff that the CMO has, or you look at the responsibilities the CMO has, they never lined up with being the third highest official. It wasn't the third biggest staff. Its responsibilities weren't the third biggest responsibilities. Its authorities weren't the third biggest authorities. It was it was just out of place for, for what it had and what it was what what it was. Other than this this, what I called a manifestly unreasonable expectation that somehow it was going to save billions of dollars. It didn't have any tools to do that with. It didn't have any authority to do that with. It didn't have any resources to do that with. Um, so it, it was just misaligned in my view. And with just about 30 seconds to go, um, it sounds like the number one thing you think they could do is adjust expectations. Is that fair to, to see the role successful going forward? I think so. I think that they would be able to accomplish a whole lot more if they set reasonable expectations and remain focused on them. I think I think this, this setting a target that's just completely unachievable has been counterproductive for the office and for the effort to reform the, the management of the department. Thank you so much for being here, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. Up next, the Cyberspace Solarium Commission recommendations are making their way into the National Defense Authorization Act. Straight ahead on Government Matters, envisioning a new National Cyber Director role. Don't forget, if you missed an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. This year's National Defense Authorization Act could operationalize several recommendations from the Cyber Commission, Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Senator Angus King has sponsored 18 amendments related to the solarium in the Senate. Representative Jim Langevin is working on at least 16 new amendments in the House. Ron Marks is president of ZPN National Security and Cyber Strategies, former CIA official and former intelligence advisor to two Senate Majority Leaders. Ron, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the program. What do you see here as the most likely recommendations of the Solarium Commission that will wind up actually happening? It has been an amazing process to watch. Uh, you know, we started off in March with a report at about 150 some odd pages. Uh, we added uh, the COVID uh, addendum, I guess is the best way to describe it. And last week we came forward, I think with 54 amendments uh, or bills that are being proposed uh, by the Cyber Solarium Commission. As you said, there are about 18 on the Senate side, 16 on the House side, all of them underneath of the NDAA, which I think was considered the most expedient way of trying to get them out 
the outstanding one, I think, is the national uh, director for cyber, the national cyber director. Uh, that's the one that's got everybody's attention at this point. Uh, it's clearly a pushback uh, against the president, uh, uh, NSC director uh, John Bolton, in fact, for having eliminated the, uh, the Tom Bossert position. Uh, but it's an expansion on that, and uh, it's a, a rather interesting one. Uh, I will be curious to see among the hundreds of amendments that are on an NDA just how much time there is for, for a debate on it. Uh, but that is the, the major one at play. What would that cyber director do? Who would that person report to? And how is it diluted to the fact it would be different than the position that used to exist? How would it be different? There seems to be a push at this point to make this thing an equivalent of a unit within the executive office. Uh, think of a U.S. Trade Rep's office. Uh, I think it's probably the best example of it, where you have someone who's the go-to person on cyber, uh, who has staff that can support them, who can do the budget, who can do the program, uh, and who's answerable to the president. I mean, that USTR took about 15 years to get there. Uh, between John Kennedy wanting a special rep and uh, finally Jimmy Carter putting an executive order in place. But that is our main person on trade. I think given the size of the cyber budgets uh, within the U.S. government, it's probably not a bad idea to have at least someone there who can do that coordination. How big you want to make that, uh, I think that will be a problem. I, I think, you know, again, there's a question, how much budgetary control, uh, how much programmatic control, how much will this person be allowed to interact with the Congress, will they interact with the private sector? You know, and in the final analysis, it's not just budget and program, it's, it's good old-fashioned political juice. Uh, it's about power. Is this someone that the president is going to look at and say, hey, I want you and your guys uh, to go ahead and work on this? Is this someone who's going to be under the thumb of the NSC at this point? There, there are a lot of things to be answered. Uh, you know, at this point in time, that the, the Senate and the House are going to debate how this thing goes. We're a long way away from any kind of final decisions on this. So the political juice that you alluded to a moment ago was the major factor that Senator King and Congressman Gallagher told me was the reason they thought that important was position or that position was important instead of giving more power, say, to the chief information security officer of the United States, who right now is Grant Schneider, or Chris Krebs at CISA, or some other place where there's already cyber authority concentrated in the government. Does that make sense to you, Ron? Yeah, one of the issues on this is just what you said, which is, is you know, cyber, cyber is, a, is, a, you know, is in the eye of the beholder. You're all over the place in terms of security, in terms of IT, in terms of information itself, uh, in terms of, again, of the security aspects of it, of the use of it in terms of uh, external power, both at state and DOD. Um, you've got to have somebody up there the president can just turn to and say, look, you know, what's going on here? Where do we need to go here? Uh, CISA is going to have, as, as, you know, as good as they have been, they're going to have their own parochial interest. FBI has got their interest. NSA has their interest. DOD has their interest. And they should. That's what they do. But to have someone who could centrally coordinate that for the U.S. government, given the billions of dollars that are being spent on this, uh, trying to make some sense of it, trying to give the private sector some idea. Um, you know, there are some cross signals out there. And we always speak of the private sector uh, in terms of cyberspace within the USG or cyberspace within the US uh, as, as sort of this foreign entity. Well, they're 90% of cyberspace. Um, and they're looking for some guidance. They want to know what their responsibilities are. Uh, and if they're getting you know, unintentionally mixed messages, you know, again, having that person on top, and I'll point to Tom Bossert again, uh, I think was a great, uh, was a great comfort. Uh, but also, uh, you know, frankly, very useful, not only for the, for, the, for the private industry, but also for the president.
About a minute and a half left, Ron. What else do you see that could come out of the Cyber Solarium recommendations and, and wind up actually operationalizing in the NDAA? Well, clearly they want to give additional support to CISA, uh, not only in terms of money, but also, you know, again, the vaunted public-private partnership, getting the information through. And I, and I shouldn't be dismissive of that. This is a hard, hard one. Uh, it's the very definition of what managers refer to as a wicked problem, in part because it's not only hard, but the people trying to solve it are somewhat part of that problem. Uh, this is about classification. Uh, this is about getting information out on time. Uh, this is about expanding CISA's role as being the center for that information. Um, that's a bit of a tough play. Uh, I was uh, a, a little bit amused by the idea that they wanted to have select committees on Capitol Hill, both on the House and Senate side. Um, I know how difficult that can be to push through, even when you have some very specific things in mind. Uh, you know, the, the Intelligence Committee is what they pointed to, but the Intelligence Committees were based on the idea of, uh, of real budgets of very specific programs, so the National Intelligence Program and versions of the Military Intelligence Program at the time. So I'm not quite sure they can get that through. But again, not a bad idea for the Hill in terms of, again, having some uh, point people in some kind of committee uh, that can actually take a look at this, uh, take a look at this issue at large. Again, this is a multi-billion-dollar issue. It's complicated, uh, and it's nice to have people uh, who really have some expertise. And as you've seen from their ability to maneuver on the Hill, I mean, a tribute also to Mark Montgomery, who's their uh, their chief of staff, who served on Armed Services Committee. They knew where to go with the bill. Uh, you know, that kind of political savvy up there, combined with uh, with a good guy over at. Uh, over at the, the center, the director, the national director, I think would make uh, would make a good combination, and I hope it happens. Ron Marks, thanks very much. As always, great to see you. Delighted, Francis. Thank you. If you've missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is now available as an audio podcast. You can subscribe to our daily program on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join us weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and on Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Marjorie Sensor. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.